2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast.
3: Well, there, has got the better of it, and he looks to get the better of Michael.
1: Arsenal win, Giroud and Coughlin injured. We'll cover that and all the other great Arsenal news on this edition of the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Last podcast, we talked about addition by subtraction, and we wished it into existence. We will talk about that with a full boat, a full house, a full group, if you will. Uh, the group includes Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo. And you can find the dulcet tones of Clive on Twitter, at Clive P. AFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, that's right. We got it all done. We're good. We're ready to start. So let me explain to you the martini we are about to make. Uh, in this particular uh, vodka martini, I think it is fair to say, the vermouth will be the West Ham game. Okay? The vodka will be the Liverpool match. And maybe a little bit of Thomas Rositzky. We will remember him fondly as he announced his retirement. A player that I think we all had great affection for, uh, and we can maybe wax uh, nostalgic about him a little bit if we get the time but first let's start with what was uh, a game of football uh, if nothing else um, it was Arsenal 1 West Ham nil. Tim uh, I know sometimes people on Twitter make fun of people that like bring iPads to the stadium and stuff uh, you get yeah. a lot of bad press for you know like iPad wanker and stuff like that how badly did you wish you had an iPad with you so you could like play Candy Crush or read a book or surf the web
4: um, actually, I think um, my maybe my expectations have been lowered by uh, three really dull Premier League games in a row. I, I actually, I, look, it wasn't a classic to say the least, but I actually think it was the best of the last four games, which Woo-hoo! tells you how bad um, those other three Premier League games were, which to be honest, I I for the first time in my entire life, I struggled to concentrate during some of those games and I never get that at football. I'm, I'm always absorbed by it. I'm always kind of really, really concentrating and focusing and, and it's only afterwards that it becomes apparent to me that a game is just unbelievably dull. But th- those three really tested me. And I thought this one was ever so slightly better. I mean, the first half was very much the same pattern. Um, I actually quite enjoyed the second half. Um, it wasn't great football, but to be honest, I'm not always entertained by great football. Um, I, I think, like, I, you know... I, 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 I mean, can curl get your, your you.
1: moustache, Captain Hipster, because, like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Well, uh, uh, <laughs> actually, I think it's
2: fucking yeah. yeah. the <laughs> other he way is, around. He? <laughs> here goes Tim showing his new side. Come on. <laughs> I, I think it's actually down. the other
4: way around. It's like, I, I can get on board with some... Like when West Ham brought Andy Carroll and Diafro Sacco on and decided to go long ball, I quite enjoyed that. I thought, um, oh, we're 1-0 up. We're hanging on to something. Andy Carroll's coming on. Something's going to happen. Um, he's either going to get sent off or score a goal or something. Um, he's, he's actually a very entertaining player, Andy Carroll. He's not particularly technically adept. Well, it's, he can be technically adept, actually, if you look at some of the goals he scores. But I, I thought there was something there in the last kind of... Certainly the last third of the game that that actually kind of got my pulse going a little bit and that's acknowledging it it wasn't like the quality of the football or the chances but you know whether it was just like Theo Walcott tripping over his own shadow or Andy Carroll immediately trying to get himself sent off in his first five seconds on the pitch there's actually quite a lot to enjoy in calamity um the three Premier League games before that have just been so sterile um that there hasn't even really been any like calamity to enjoy, uh, save for maybe our defending to the Southampton goal.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: so I, I you know i i I can I think my my tastes in football are actually quite unsophisticated, which is why you don't you I, don't
1: happen to have a pitcher of red wine in front of you right now, do you? <laughs>
4: No, no, I have, a, I, have, I have a beer. All right, uh, so I'm just checking me. if, like, Sam
1: Allardyce was hanging out with you, if you guys have been palling around.
4: No, but, like, I mean, on Saturday when Arsenal aren't playing, I'm go, you know, I go and watch my local team, uh, Bromley, quite a bit, and they're non-league, and, you know, they're, like, the National League, and, it, and it's all, like, and, you know, I go and watch, like, League 2 and League 1 games, and it's all, you know, playing for territory and hitting the channels and going long ball on awful pitches, and I, I actually quite enjoy that. Um, I, I, I really don't need um, a kind of a technical ballet style masterclass to in, to enjoy a game. Sometimes I, I like it a bit uh, I like it a bit dirty sometimes, shall we say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I kind of definitely not the first half. I, I was thinking to myself this might be this is probably going to be a game where there'll be one chance um, and it will fall to it could fall to Chicharito it could fall to Giroud um, it well, we had two in the end, one fell to Walcott, kind of one and a half fell to, well, two half chances fell to Welbeck, well, sorry, two big chances fell to Welbeck, which kind of melded into one chance for the most Welbeckian goal ever. Um,
5: It was a
1: classic of
5: the genre, I
1: will say. Some missed chance at a header, scuffed off his shin into the goal. The timeline
5: was priceless. I mean, you often see things where everybody says the same thing. I've never seen anything like the Welbeck goal. There's like four thousand Arsenal supporters going with the the most Welbeck. If that guy looked at the timeline to get the the credit he was due from his goal, he'd be heartbroken. He'd be in fucking care after that. (laughs)
4: But um, one thing I'd just say to close my fairly rambling point is, I actually thought that this was going to be a really entertaining game, and I'll tell you why I did. Um, I didn't think West Ham would care enough about the result to park the bus, so I thought they'd be, you know, not wide open, but I thought they might give it a bit of a go because ultimately nobody wanted extra time. Neither team is hugely invested in the competition, and you tend to get two types of League Cup game. You get. You get the mad games um, because no one really cares, so everyone goes for it. And then sometimes you get the really, really tough to endure ones because you've got two very disjointed teams, both of whom are kind of trying to lose. And uh, I, I think this fell mm, probably more towards the, the latter than the former. But, um, yeah, I, I... I I felt there was a little bit of tension maybe in the last 20 minutes, which uh, you don't often get in this competition.
1: Yeah. I mean, David Moyes was never going to give you an open, exciting football match, no matter how little (laughs) the players cared about it. I I take your point. I'm struggling to agree with it, but I, you know, I look, this is about taste and my taste. Mm. Um, what, what's the line from, from the book The I, my tastes that became a meme. The one, the sex book, what's the one my tip. Come on guys.
5: Gray. Fifty shades of gray. There's a uh, I, all right. t- ah, ah no, you're missing it, your tits, not taste. No t- your tits. Uh, <laughs> God's sake. All right. Look, let's
1: get off my tits for a minute and get back on the football. Uh which got on my tits quite a bit, in fact. But uh um okay, so like I think if you were trying to craft the perfect midfielder, like a makalele meets Pirlo. That's the Cochlin that we saw against West Ham, Paul. I mean, this is this is a player who has it all. He's got the half turn, he's got the keepy uppies, he's got the, the He bloody the, did in the this over game. the top through balls. He's got it all, Paul. Twice. Let's wax poetic about this up and coming superstar, this Makalele pirlo hybrid that is Francis
5: Cochlin. I'm gonna wax my beaver over this one, I can tell you. It's been a long time coming.
2: Um, let me just get a bottle of wine well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: Tim, Tim has literally just dropped
1: off the Skype chat and I can only assume it's because he's disgusted by what's happening but I'm going to try to bring him back on while Paul gives his point go ahead Paul
5: that Tim is weird isn't he <laughs> go for it seriously um, so yeah I don't really have too much to say about Cochrane except they gave him a little bit of room and he w- I mean this honestly wasn't this is like best performance ever without Kazorla uh, beside him I don't want to make too much of it but it, w- it was delicious. Everything he did came off. Uh he had he had vision. Uh he was spraying it around. He kept it taking it along. He was Mr. continuity at times. So uh, it was very enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Uh, I mean um but I
1: mean do do you look I hesitate to ask this but we have to come up with hashtag content. Like do you have any sense that like what we saw from Cocklin is going to inspire the manager to think I can give this guy some some playing time again. I mean, is this a poison chalice (laughs)
5: Um, for you perhaps? Um, So, I mean, I don't think it changes anything. Uh, I definitely think the manager will have gone away thinking Francis is in a bit of form, but, and, and we Mm -hmm. might need the odd midfielder from time to time, but I don't think it changes any of the fundamentals. I mean, I loved it. I thought he was, I actually thought he was, he was fairly brilliant. But I don't think it changes anything.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you one one more player to talk about just really quickly because we're going to try to move this whole thing along. And I want to save Willick for uh, Clive because he's the only one who knows which Willick it was. But, um, you know, Debushi is a really interesting guy to me because he came in. He was clearly a talented fullback. He got injured. He came back. Then there's of the Arnautovic shove. Bellerin comes in. We've covered all this before. But Every time I've seen him lately, I can't help but think this is a really, really good player. Now, I am a believer that Hector Bellerin has been just fine, that he's fantastic, that he doesn't need to be sat down, that there's nothing wrong with Bellerin. But there is a growing movement of social media wackos who think that Hector Bellerin is struggling for form and, and maybe that his place shouldn't be assured. What do you think of Debushi? and is there an argument that he's, he's starting to put pressure on Bellerin?
5: Paul, sorry, that's for you. Oh, okay. Uh, no. So, I think he's been pretty good. I think the one thing you can see is uh, his pace was never brilliant, but reasonably decent. I think in a Premier League Dubushi? game, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, he's going to struggle to get past anybody. Um, and to be any kind of offensive weapon, um, he's going to have to be able to take in take take in a man, take on a man and get across in. Now, I think his crossings pretty decent. Uh, but then we have nobody to put high crosses into, which is what Debushi could give you. And he's not going to get to the byline and get in low crosses. So, I mean, if if there's an injury, I think he could do a job for a game or two. Uh, but I just I think he's lost something in the legs department. Interesting. So, I, see.
1: I, I, he's definitely not a wing back. But if we stick with a back four, no. I mean, he does he add maybe that slightest bit more physicality and 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 defensive solidity at full back than maybe we're getting from Bellard.
5: Yeah, but you could always just use uh, Maitland-Niles on the right. So- Good
1: God, man. You would play 11 Maitland-Niles if you could. Let- let's move on. Cl- uh, Clive- well, i
5: play three of them. I'd play Ainsley, I'd play Maitland, and I'd play
2: Niles if I could. <laughs> Hard to argue with that.
5: Um, uh, Clive, so first of all, which Willock was it,
1: and what did you think of him?
2: Uh, is it Joe Willock? Yeah. he's. Um- Wasn't it Chris? Yeah, no, that's the other one. That's the one at Benfica. And Damn. then there's Matty Willock, the one at Manchester United. Well, think he's trying to get out of there. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, this Willock, you know, full disclosure, as we're all disclosing stuff tonight, we've worked out that Tim is a long-ball merchant. And but actually, that, that's basically my coaching strategy. So I'm not going to say anything against that. So, um, so basically, Joe Willock, he's somebody that I've always sort of um, wondered about a little bit. There's been a few noises about his contractual situation. Maybe some of the chances he was getting was to get him to sign the contract. I've always been a bit sceptical about him. and I've always compared him to Henson Maitland-Niles, who I'm a huge fan of. And I'm thinking, you're getting the minutes that Maitland-Niles should be getting to in 10th midfield. Um, so I've always been a little bit loathe to really see the player. And um, But now Maitland-Niles is establishing himself. I had a good look at him um, last night. And... Um, He's he's his potential in centre midfield is 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 quite striking. I think he's grown physically very, very, very quickly. And what I saw yesterday was ability to get it, move it, or step his player. And that means he's getting more comfortable physically at the level. So he stepped people, he stepped through people. When he need one touch, he took one touch. When he needed three touches, he took three. We need to when he need to do some press resistant play, he did that. And I could potentially, for the first time, I saw his potential and maybe thinking myself, hold on a minute here. We've got a situation where, you know, Maitland-Niles has obviously got the ability to be a defensive midfielder, but this guy's got the ability to be maybe his partner. if you see what I mean? In, in If you project forward. A number I think six, he, a number eight? What are we talking here? A, a number eight, in yeah. my opinion. A number eight, I think. So Niles he just at six showed, and, and Willick at eight. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you were projecting forward, you know, with my sort of dream, you know, of young of young players, you could see awobe, Willock and Maitland-Niles was a three. If we were playing Southampton, the FA Cup, that would be an interesting three to look at, wouldn't it? To see what they could do, like we saw a couple of years ago when they went there with a very young team. So, yeah, I was I was really impressed with him. And I looked at him probably with, with, with clear eyes for the first time. And I can see his potential. I like the player. He is something that's happened. He's only 18. He looks he looks the part. Much like a lot of these youngsters, they look the part. Maybe not the big names that we've seen before and the hype around the Bentlers, etc., and the and the But When I look at them, I don't fear for them when they're on the pitch. And mm. uh, I think they are they are starting to really cope.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tim, do you agree with that? I mean, where where do you come down yeah. on whichever Willick that was?
4: Yeah, I've I've really liked him actually, and if you he's a num- he's a player who um, the numbers really speak well for him. Regularly in the nineties uh, for for pass completion, and don't get me wrong, very few of those passes um, are particularly dangerous for the opposition. But he keeps things ticking over. What what I find quite interesting at the moment is that. If there's a a place in the squad where Arsenal are suffering, it's kind of in central midfield where we give the ball up cheaply, um, and you know the manager seems to have lost a bit of faith at least in Coquelin and El Nene, Shaka still not impressing. When you look at what's coming through, what's really interesting is you've got Ainsley Maitland Niles, who all right is playing at fullback, but I still think had you know potentially as a future as a good passing midfield player. And on the last pod, I kind of said I felt like him playing at fullback was to develop his off-the-ball attributes because we're quite comfortable. We know he can pass the ball. And then you look at Willock. He's very comfortable on the ball. And um, a guy guy came on for the last few minutes and exceptionally calm on the ball, very highly rated in the academy, Ben Sheaf. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. he's
2: he's going to be amazing Tim so yeah
4: just so cool so cool on the ball in there and what I find I I wrote an article a couple of years ago about how Arsene Wenger um, kind of arrives at his defensive midfielders and how he doesn't seem to have a type but nearly always that kind of deep-lying defensive midfield player is the last kind of part of the jigsaw it's the last player he always buys um or you know or else develops or you know he'll go with whoever's in form so flamini gets a run coquelin gets a run in there and what i find really interesting is that the manager seems to have lost faith in a lot of his options there but quite a few of the academy kids are coming through and what we're and i've wondered this for a while because of our approach to defensive midfield players Mm -hmm. i've been thinking to myself why aren't we producing them Um, because of our kind of, we don't tend to spend a lot of money on them, Jack are accepted, and we tend to just drop them into the team according to whatever the team needs. And and what's really interesting is we've got three, you know, I'm not saying they're all going to be amazing or anything, but we've got three young players there who are potentially really good um, passing midfield players, which is something we're missing in the first team. I think that's very interesting for all of them.
1: Yeah, I, that's right. I, Clive, you wanted to sort of build on, on that point. I mean, look, we're only going to do 45 minutes on the West Ham game. That's it. Just the 45 minutes,
2: and then we're going to move right on. But we're, we're, we're talking beyond the West Ham game. We talked about the opportunities that the Europa League and the Carabao Cup has given these players, right? So are we, are we would never have seen. Ben Chief, for example, without this competition, and um, without the the size of the squad to allow them to play these rounder games, and um, I really believe it, development of kids. I do want to build on. It's really, it's really a fine line. I'll give you an example. There's a player at Spurs called Josh Onama, right? So, and he is the star of the England 20s midfield, and he basically kept A.C. Maitland-Niles out of that England team and Maitland-Niles sort of supported him. He's gone off to Aston Villa on loan and at the start of the season he was playing many minutes I'm wondering, Maitland-Niles must be thinking, when am I going to get a chance at the first team level? We have the Europa League, we have the Carabao Cup and three, four months later on, which players progressed the more? Onoma is at Villa, he's not doing very well, Spurs might recall him And Maitland-Niles is suddenly the the hero potentially we're all searching for. His potential has gone up. He's had had lots of minutes out of position. But most discernible thinking Arsenal fans can see his potential, whether he's a centre midfielder, whether he's a right back. I actually believe that for the next phase of his career, he's maybe concentrate on being the Bellerin sort of stand-in. And potentially a centre midfielder that comes on to close up games. And then the next two, three years down the road, potentially he can be a centre midfielder. But I think it's it's a fine line whether you keep players, loan players. I read that George Bird said something out of our nine players that are on loan. I think six of them were unused substitutes, something c like that. I'm not sure exact numbers. We've got so many players on loan that are not playing or not impacting games. We've kept a lot of these boys, and they're playing, and they're growing, and we're having opinions about them. I think it's one of the highlights of the season for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if you're not chasing a title and you're not in the Champions League, I mean, it's not that the season is a loss, but one of the things that can be enjoyable is watching these young kids make their case. I mean, I am of the opinion that they're still all a very long way from establishing themselves, um, and there's a lot of work still to be done for that to happen. But it is an exciting development, and the Carabao Cup, And and the progress we've made there in the Europa League have given them a platform that we haven't really seen since the days of Project Youth when it was Carlos Vela chipping in goals for fun uh, in the whatever it was at that time. Was it even the Capital One Cup? It was probably even before that. Um, In any event... Uh, Paul, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to stick with the character for a minute.
2: Uh, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs>
1: well, the, fir- the first thing, I think we at least owe a little mensch for the uh, young center backs who played in this game, Holding and Chambers, and I thought Chambers impressed, actually. Um, these are guys who the manager has not shown a lot of faith in, uh, not given an opportunity, has looked for ways to align his back three or back four without them whenever possible. How do you think they performed, and do you think this will weigh on the manager's decision-making going forward?
5: So you're going to completely ignore my request to make yeah, a comment all right, so just on the real shape quick, of Willock's what, head.
1: What's your feeling on, on the shape of, of Willock's head?
5: Still an overly peeled potato. I, I haven't moved on this. Good. Okay. Well, no, I'm glad we, we know that Nothing he did last night changes that. I, uh, yeah. yeah. And
1: now on to the question I asked. Uh, answer that, please.
5: Centre backs. Did, That's the one. Did they do Yeah. So, um, uh, Chambers, does he not look like a young Mr. Darcy? Uh, i was amazed he tweeted something the other day and i looked through his mentions and the number of women and girls who just replied like hearts and i love you and you're and i'm like what i never i'd never looked at him in that light before you know i have the ability
1: to remove you from the skype conversation it's like two clicks (laughs) that's all it's like like one click and then another click and you're gone Well,
5: yeah. yeah, you could do that. That's, alternatively, option.
1: all right, I get it. I get it. Great looking young man. We we definitely have and a club. And he's doing that-
5: his hair. Uh, I, I can see what they're doing. So I thought they both did really well. Oh, there I it thought, is. Yeah. <laughs> Holding was uh, ultra aggressive, but Chambers, I thought, was very sharp too. And uh, there was that beautiful move. He picked up the ball defensively and Chambers pinged it over to the left wing, I think, uh, right on the right on the snide hit Calasanac, uh, um, who we should talk about in the this and the Liverpool context. Yeah, some yeah, sort. we will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I thought they were both really good, um, and they were really up for Carroll coming on. I quite enjoyed that.
1: They needed this, right? I mean, these are players yeah. that haven't they haven't been in the reckoning, and you know they they need these opportunities to go out there and and show they can do something. Otherwise, you know, especially. I hate to make confidence a big thing, but for young players not getting player in time and watching fullbacks getting chosen ahead of them at center back, like it can ding your confidence pretty heavily. This is important for them. Um well you mentioned Natch, so let's just come on to it. I mean, the fact that he starts this game I would think most likely means he's not starting Friday. I mean, do you think he's slipped to being firmly second choice, or do you think maybe a little bit combination of injury, little bit combination adjusting, a little bit combination of Maitland Niles play? I mean, where where do you put him in terms of the pecking order and how it's how it's gonna happen going forward for him?
5: I've, uh, yeah, I've absolutely no idea. And I have no idea on the Liverpool game either. So I'm really on this as an ex- a spectator. When Arsene was asked about it, I know you can't read too much into it, I don't think he has a clue what he's going to do for Liverpool, formation-wise, uh, player-wise, and then to Kolasinac and the left wing. I mean, you've you got to come into this thinking that that maybe he did have Maitland-Niles in mind for the Liverpool game and Kalasinach in this one I kind of thought maybe he'd test Kalasinach and, and have him run for 70 minutes and if it looked like he was in form and he you know he's he's had some fitness issues if it looked like he was going to be useful against Liverpool he'd take him off after 70 use this game as a test and say yeah yeah he looks good but I'm not going to I'm not going to ask for 94 minutes from him because I'm going to I'm now thinking I'm going to use him against Liverpool but he played him for the whole game so That tells you that uh, it's probably going to be
1: Niles.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if it's a fitness issue, he wouldn't have run him for ninety-four minutes with the idea of the Liverpool game in mind. And if it's not a fitness issue, then it's a form issue. So, and and I think
1: both would be fair. I mean, we had talked on this pod about his passing dipping. Do you think? Do you think it was all right in this match? I I thought it was about as vanilla as it comes. Honestly,
5: his performance. Yeah. uh, so Adrian Clark was quite good. I rewatched this game. What's fuck's wrong with you, this game? I know. <laughs> so uh, I'm with Tim. I really enjoyed it. And then I made the mistake of watching it a second time. It's It was shite. My God, it was a terrible Once magic. you
1: know that nothing's coming, it's a lot harder to watch it a second
5: time. <laughs> you know, well, it's well, like it,
1: well, the first true. time you're like, the magic is right around the corner.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Yeah, go ahead, it was funny on. when I looked at Twitter and the reaction of the game to the game was like it just stunk, and I'm like, "That's I must be re- almost as weird as that Tim fella." I quite enjoyed it, <laughs> but what you see is, I mean, the game is littered with really good moments, like a you know a pass, and then the next pass is good, and then the third thing just sucks. So there's actually lots of. You can look at a lot of the play and the players and get things out of it, but it just sucked as yeah. a game. Yeah. But um Kalasanatch yeah. is fascinating and maybe it goes back to what what uh formation we pick, which is also fascinating. The most interesting thing about this game was, was the lineup and how it reflected on the Liverpool game.
1: Yeah, and we're gonna come on to that when we get into our Liverpool preview. Just as a final thought and Tim, maybe I'll let you just have a quick word on this. Uh. The semifinal in this competition is two-legged, and it comes at a time when you can honestly stand not to be playing, you know, twice a week. With mm. you know Europa getting ready to come back, that's a a big competition with a lot of games left to go if we're going to go deep in it. And um, you know the top four chase, hopefully, still very very much on. Are you of the opinion that sticking with this way of selecting, no matter who we draw who we're drawn against, is the right path mm. forward for the semifinal?
4: Yeah I think so. It's it's not a team of kids is it? It's a team of uh, like fringe first team players and all of them uh, pretty much all of them have played this, you know, this level of opposition at some point in the first team. So assuming you spit again, you know, Giroud, Welbeck, Walcott, Coquelin, Elneny, I I might, you know, pick Iwobi instead of Willock, maybe something like that. If Rams is back by then, maybe we can drop Wilshire in, but Honestly, yeah, I'd keep pretty much the same team. If he's really inclined to, maybe have some of the the bigger players on the bench. But I I think do that, say it very very early, make it very very known to our opponents, and you know, kind of, uh, and they could take it either way. Then they could say, well, let's play the first team, we'll definitely win, or mm, yeah, okay, we'll we'll rest some players as well. So I say, um, not raising you know the white flag, but let's let's. Pick that team again, that you know, those players they're probably going to play against Ostersons as well, they're probably going to play against Nottingham Forest, so you know, they, they potentially got like a little run together. I, yeah, I say stick with them, and you know, certainly for the first leg,
1: it's an interesting season because I mean, the, the net the first FA Cup game we have. The two legs of the Carabao Cup we still have, and at least the first leg of Osterson. That's four more games still for the second team to start, you know, for youth yeah. players to start. This season has provided a tremendous platform, and I think you'd have to say, maybe other than Maitland Niles, it hasn't really accomplished much. Um, although it did accomplish getting Giroud uh, out of the team. In
4: in the short term, the short term, in the, short term. In the yes, long yes. term, well, some of those. I, I also think with regards to the selection policy for the semifinal, you know, we've won three FA cups in four years now. We're not as desperate for that trophy. It's Maybe if point, we're still yeah. on the trophy drought, I'd say, no, let's, let's go all in for this. But you know, we, we've won a couple of cups now. I don't think we need to throw everything in on this.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I should have also added Jack Wilshire getting all the playing time he did early in the season, I think has only helped with us needing to use him now. So mm. there have been benefits and, and, uh, you know, it, it will be interesting to see what he does. I think he'll stick with the selection that, you know, uh, uh, approach that he has. Real quick, with respect to, your, am I interrupting someone? Is someone, like, using a shortwave radio or trying to send no. Mor- Morse code messages? No. No, okay, no. Okay. Uh, if you are, whoever you are, who's either on a, on their speakerphone or, can we listen in? Is, so, <laughs> is someone on hold, like, trying to pay their cable bill? No one? None. Okay, okay. Um, you know, it's fine. The the listener is curious. The listener is curious. Um, so uh, just as a last thought here, so Giroud does pick up an injury, and Clive, I mean, I we kind of discussed on the last pod that you uh, chose not to be on because you, you uh, I, I don't know, needed, needed a rest or you're just weak mentally. Um, i a bit
2: like Coliseanic. Jaded. I just need a bit of rest to freshen me up. It's fine.
1: Um, yeah. But we had talked about ad- addition by subtraction and uh, it's probably not the ideal time of season for any subtraction, but who's who's the beneficiary from this? Is it Lacazette getting more minutes? Is it Theo or Danny Welbeck? I mean, what is the knock-on effect of Giroud missing for a little while?
2: i can got to be honest with you, my... my Initially, emotion was I'm not devastated by the injury. Yeah, no, I didn't cry
1: a lot of tears over it.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm not devastated, not because I don't like him. Just I just think we flip from one style to the other, and they're too they're too far apart. It does nothing for us, right? So we have to adjust too much to it, and um, so that player's not there. Yes, it puts a lot of pressure on Danny Welbeck, but I think he looked fitter versus West Ham. I think he's been. Nurse back gently, and he looks fitter. Theo is an enigma. I can't work him out. I don't know what he is. He can't even stand up at the moment. When he gets when he gets angry, then we, we might see the player. But I've got a funny fear we might see that player in an Everton shirt. So let's see what happens there. So, and I've been concerned about our, our, our forwards because we are heavily reliant on Alexis. And he's not doing it. And we're missing him away from home. where I think he's really effective when he goes into other people's grounds. Danny Welbeck, no one can bet on him. No one knows what he's going to do. We just know that he's very unpredictable, but he works very hard. Um, Lacazette still still adjusting. And Theo, Theo. So we've got an issue. We've got an issue here going forward. So you know, I, I think it's quite interesting... With what we're doing with our forwards, and maybe in years gone by we would have made some some more decisions about replacing some of them much sooner. I look at some of younger forwards around in the league that we could, we could bet on. I'm looking at Danny Welbeck. I'm looking at his injury record, and I and I like the player. He's very popular in the club, but we do this a lot. We hold on the players too long until they till they miss their value. Danny Welbeck would look very good in Everton team at 35 million, and you might not agree that's the price. But they need a forward like him to rotate with Calvert Lewin. and then we should be looking at players like Tammy Abraham, who's who when I saw him play for Swansea against Arsenal, looked a massive threat. We have to make these decisions much sooner and, and make sure we can upgrade our team and make our team younger and less injury prone. It doesn't mean you don't like the player, it's just business at the top level, it's just upgrading. And we're, we're just not doing it quickly enough, right? Mm-hmm. We're not saying out the right we're not sending out the right messages. We're saying Come to Arsenal and we'll look after you you can be here a long time. That's not the message we should be sending out. We should be saying, come to Arsenal. You've got a three- to four-year contract. If you don't do it in the first two years, we're going to move you. And well, that's how it goes.
1: I mean, look at how Arsene handled his 30-year-old players in the invincible era. It was like you got one-year contract extensions at best or you were shipped out. I mean, there's definitely been yep. much more of a movement towards being uh, sympathetic to the players being comfortable and happy in their needs. But anyway, that's well off topic. Um, I just want to congratulate West Ham for a second. Um, Despite the fact that this is a knockout fixture, uh, despite the fact that they went down in the 42nd minute and were losing, they managed one shot off target for the entire match. Uh, while having 33% possession. So, David Moyes, take a bow. Congratulations. You guys are officially as shit as Bate Borisov, in my opinion. Um, it really was pathetic. And I, I I don't know if you guys agree, but I, I thought they were just about as bad
5: as you could possibly imagine. Um, <laughs> it, the strange thing was it was a reasonable uh, team on the team sheet. I, I can't explain it. They were just
1: fucking horrible.
2: Can we we be fair to them and just say their priorities are just not in this game and they're in survival, and when they are focused on the league, they are far more resilient oh, course, than they of course, no. Been. They were fine so, against
1: us just a couple days earlier, but I, I mean, yeah, this, exactly. this was a, a nightmarish performance by them, and they contributed to this being yep. a terrible, terrible game to watch.
5: Um, it's like they didn't even mm. want to risk qualifying by taking a <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. yeah. God forbid they should exactly. have two more fixtures. That's a really good point. Like, Moyes might have said to them, like, do not win this game under any circumstances, do and do not go to extra time if you can avoid it. Um, Tim, let's start the Thomas Rozitsky appreciation round real quick before we get to the Liverpool mm. preview. And I, I don't know if you guys agree, I absolutely love the player. Um, I remember mm. so clearly the World Cup where uh, the Czech Republic played uh, the United States and he scored from like 30 yards out with an absolute laser beam. And I had the, it, I was so conflicted because on the one hand, I was like, <laughs> well, shit. And then on the other hand, I was like, well, shit. <laughs> He's coming to Arsenal. Um, a player whose career was absolutely wrecked by injury uh, but at the height of his powers, I mean, you can tell how great he was by how loved he is and respected he is mm. by great players. I think he was Mesut Ozil's idol or something like that. Um, I, and, you know, I mean, really the type of player that we haven't haven't been able to replace in some ways in terms yeah. of what he was able to give us uh, driving through the midfield uh, to sort of copy a, a famous uh, quotation. <laughs> what, uh, what are your enduring memories of Thomas Rzitzky?
4: Um Yeah, I th- so what we... Quite often, do when players um, have uh, injury-marked careers, is we kind of, out of sympathy, um, overstate their importance. Diaby, I'm, Diaby, sorry, yeah,
1: okay.
2: yeah, and, fuck off. Um,
1: well, no, he, and you, I loved
2: him. I loved Diaby. So yeah. stop. Keep, keep,
1: keep going, Tim. We're right. Yeah. They're wrong. <laughs> keep going.
2: And um, I, I
4: really don't think that's that's the case on this occasion. I, I think Rizitsky is just one of those players. Uh, I've said this a few times that. Um, you know, wasn't world-class in his own right. Fabulous player, but not, you know, absolute top, top draw. But um, a dream for a team like Arsenal because basically he played football the way that a, a good Arsenal Wenger team should play football. He just did it much more quickly and he made everyone else do it much more quickly as well. And um, I think you can see why the supporters loved him because he's a really easy player to appreciate. He's very easy on the eye because he's so good technically. Um but you know his his style's very simple to appreciate it's get ball move ball move us get ball move ball move us and he he was just like um he was like an amphetamine for arsenal he just he just sped everything up and i i just always always think that when rizsky was in the team and fit arsenal looked better arsenal played their football better and uh he was um you know Wenger always uses this phrase technical leader and Rosicki was a technical leader. He was a he was a player who made the team play its football better. And um, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I, I I think we still still really miss him. Um, and I, mean, I, I he, think we could really do with a player like that right now.
1: Yeah, he he had end product which we haven't had from a lot of midfielders. He could carry it through the midfield with with real burst and tenacity. Um, I mean, maybe Jack Wilshire had some similarities when he was young. He, mm. he certainly lost that burst a little bit, which is a shame. I think, uh, by the way, let me just clarify something. When I cough, cough Diaby, my point isn't that Diaby was an incredible player. I think he was an incredible player who could have been an incredible mm. talent. My point was he never really was integrated into the squad as an important member for any long period of time enough to where it was fair to evaluate him. And I think his long absences elevated him from bright talented prospect who could be a great Arsenal player to Messi-esque standards.
5: Wow, I think your coughs really cover something there, Elliot.
4: I mean, personally, maybe we're getting off track here. Personally, I think Diaby is um, just like another version of Granit Xhaka. Occasionally brilliant, occasionally awful, and very rarely anything in between.
1: Well, and and who knows? Because again, had he stayed fit by twenty six, twenty seven, when those kind of players mature, yeah, yeah, he could yeah. have been a stunningly impactful player. But I just he was elevated to a status through injury that I don't think ever matched any performances we saw from him on a consistent basis.
5: It, now, it, it, easy, Elliot, you'll be apologizing and backtracking again in about two minutes I mean
2: I'm right
1: but moving this uh, moving that aside okay he had the great game against Liverpool. congratulations i mean no i I, look,
2: I have to say something i have to say something oh, for we, with yeah. dr being he's spectacular his top level was top yes right? yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. much much like Riziki, I think he was a players footballer um I think players really appreciated Riziki. Um, even maybe more so than some fans I think they appreciated his ability to change gears and when I look at the league right now what's actually happening right in front of our eyes Manchester City are Within the league, by purely being more intense than everybody else. And Miziki had that ability to speed it up, as Tim says, and bring intensity at the right moment with a level of of control and quality. And that exactly are the attributes we're missing today intensity while holding on to your quality, right? And so I think, well, I think it's quite ironic that um, we lost him, you know, he's retired today because he's exactly the type of player. We need to to match where modern football is actually going, and um, we need to buy players like him. A lot of players like him that can go up the level in physically intensity wise, but still retain their quality.
1: Am I I right to say he, he was like our? No, he he was never this good passing, but he was like he was our Kevin De Bruyne before there was a Kevin De Bruyne. Right, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, very I, work, I'm not very saying, good yeah, I'm not <clears> saying he, and we don't have that player in our side right now. And you see it in our attack. And and I, I want to Paul. I want to bring you in and, and give you a chance. here. So the irony about Thomas Rositsky is, I, I love the player, um, destroyed by injury, of course. Also had arguably the worst substitute appearance in Arsenal history, along with Emmanuel Adebayor. His half against Newcastle away in the four four is to this day one of the worst performances on a football pitch I have ever seen. Um did he give away two penalties in that half? I know he gave away one phantom penalty that never should have been a little push but yeah. I mean he he was at the heart of everything that went wrong in that half which is kind of ironic. Paul, I mean, do you um do you have sort of the uh, rose tinted spectacles on for Rosicki as well?
5: Well, uh, just on the Newcastle game, the the one highlight of that was Diaby picking up Joey Barton and, and then getting flopping sent around off, yeah. like a rag doll. <laughs> but it was worth it. Well, you say it was worth it. I mean, that is still one of the most scarring memories I have of Arsenal, aside from Paris. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, some people take that view. Uh, no, I, uh, Look, I absolutely love Rizitski. There's, there's nothing I can really add. He was a player we brought on so often to push us forward and to make us tick and to, you know, put a tiger in the tank. He was a slide tackling ninja. I loved it. I loved almost every minute he played for us uh, where he was even remotely fit. And as Arson says, if you love football, you love Rizitski. And I think that's just spot on. And that goal against
1: Spurs. Top pins. Ah, oh, so great. Um, all of them. Yeah. Oh. Well. Yeah. You know the one I'm thinking of, though. <laughs> Running in right channel. What? Yeah. Crushes yeah, yeah. it. The volley. The, the volley. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Look. I mean. And obviously, he hasn't passed away. He's just retired. And. And. Uh, a player that we still are looking for the replacement for. Um. So let's do this. Uh, We're going to talk to Scott for a minute and get sort of a data driven preview of the Liverpool match. Then we will come back and do some hashtag narrative. So we'll take a little break. We'll let Scott give us the numbers. We'll come back and we will tell you why uh, Arsenal should dominate. There was back when he turned his back and they killed his cousin. He beat the case and went back to hustling. Bird shuffling. Anthony rang. The first in the projects with the two-tone Mustang. That 5.0 thing. They say 5-0 came. Sir. Okay, and now I'm here with Scott Willis. You can find Scott on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his fine work on crabstats.blogspot.com. Uh, Scott, Hello. Hello Hello and welcome. Uh, We are going to dive deep on the West Ham match. We're going to scrape the data. We're going to pull out the advanced metrics, the analytics, the kind of really interesting statistical analysis of the West Ham match. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to disregard it. We're going to talk Liverpool. We're going to focus on the upcoming uh, league fixture against Liverpool. Uh, I don't remember the reverse fixture. I'm sure we probably did fine in that one. Uh, But we are going to discuss the one that's coming up at the Emirates. Uh, So here's what we're going to do. First, we'll talk about the similarities and differences in the way these two teams attack and approach the match. We'll talk a little about Mohamed Salah and what to expect from him, and hopefully not a hat trick. And uh, then we'll break down what it means to our season should we win, lose, or draw. So Scott, let's start with the attack and the way these teams attack. Statistically, they're very similar in terms of what they produce. The way they do it couldn't be more different.
6: Yeah, so that was one of the things I really noticed when I was preparing for this podcast.
1: Yeah, stop you there. Um we really we really try to to avoid preparation if at all possible. We'll let it slide this time, but just for, for future reference.
6: Yeah, so I was really struck by the amount that Liverpool and Arsenal are essentially the, the same producing the same results on offense. So if you look at the XG, both of them are just over two um, XG per match. They produce eighteen shots per match and about two and a half big chances per match, which is pretty crazy. Um, in that they couldn't be more different in the way that the two teams go about creating. So Liverpool, true to their uh, stereotype, are much more of a direct team that relies on creating through transition and fast break. So if you look at the fast break numbers, Liverpool are the most fast breaky team, and then also in fast attack. So those are attacks that last less than three, three seconds or less. They are also towards the top of that while Arsenal are much more of a, a walk-the-ball-into-the-net kind of a team, as long as Granit Jack is not shooting from long distance and rely a lot more on creating through, through balls and creating those final killer passes after multi-pass moves.
1: Yeah, I, and I, I think that, that sounds right. You'd be surprised, by the way, just how much you can accomplish in three seconds or less. But uh, moving on. So, yeah, I mean, obviously... The reason for the fast attack from Liverpool is probably what we suspect, which is that they are pressing, they're getting the ball off the opposition, and they're transitioning. So um, one of the ways you measure uh, the intensity of a press is the number of passes the opposition makes before there's a defensive action, right? So if you can play 25 passes before a team tries a tackle or an interception or something like that, Obviously, they're not pressing you very hard. But when you get around the seven or eight passes range, that's kind of an intense press that we see you know, at the top end of the pressing teams in the league. So what are you seeing in terms of Liverpool's pressing numbers, and where is that press most commonly taking place?
6: So yeah, when I was actually looking at the, the passes for defensive action, I was a little bit surprised to see that Liverpool ranked third at 10 passes for defensive action um, allowed but then when I was looking a little bit further into the reasons behind, a lot of that is driven by the Manchester City match where they were down to 10 men and Manchester City passed them to death. And then also a few of the matches where they got their early lead and then they were able to back off of their press, taking out some of those outlier matches. It's a lot more typical between the seven and a half to eight range, which would be what you would expect from a high pressing team. The other thing that was surprising, or maybe less surprising, is where they go. They are much more like Manchester City than they are Spurs in that they like to press further up the pitch into the final, their final third, or the, or the team that's in possession defensive third. So they look to press the center backs and the, the deep midfielders to really um, create their um, while they still press high in midfield they aren't nearly as high as what um spurs are in the middle third of the pitch
1: that is interesting now so that that leads me to sort of a question because all right so they're pressing way up the pitch which means it's hard to play out it's hard to get out your out ball is probably going to be long and those are lower percentage balls um you're also asking the out ball trip tricky out balls to be played by players who are less skillful at passing right a center back instead of a midfielder for example um so they're doing that press deep, and we have killed ourselves, shot ourselves in both feet, the head, the, the groin, the chest, anywhere we can with sloppy passes in, in our defensive third, whether it's Shaka, whether it's Mustafi, whether it's Koscielny. We've seen a lot of those kinds of passes this season that have cost us. So obviously it's, it's in a, a scary proposition to be pressed in those areas of the pitch. But my hypothesis would be if they're putting a lot of emphasis that far up the pitch— that behind that press, there's vulnerability. And so I think it's interesting. They're not conceding a lot of opportunities to the opposition, but the opportunities they concede are very high quality, aren't they?
6: They are. So, yeah, Liverpool, their defensive strategy seems to be to suppress shots as much as possible. So they are just behind Manchester City, allowing just seven shots per game, Um, while Arsenal um, rely a lot more on focusing on preventing high-quality shots are allowing just over nine shots per game. But when you look at where the shots take place and then the quality of the shots, that's where the two teams actually converge. So um, Liverpool are allowing uh, one and a half big chances per game, while Arsenal are just over 1.2 big chances per game. And then if you look at shots in the danger zone, so that's, again, the six-yard box plus the center of the 18-yard box, um, Arsenal are at 3.6 big danger zone shots allowed, and uh, Liverpool 3.4. So while Liverpool are suppressing shots, they are giving up higher quality shots. They are actually tied for the worst XG per shot allowed with Stoke City, and you don't want to be tied with Stoke City on defense right now because they hey. have the, the worst defensive record.
1: We, we lost to Stoke, just a reminder. Um, so <laughs> um, out of curiosity, where's City rank in the XG per shot
6: allowed? That is a good question. I can look at that up.
1: Uh, I'm sorry, I, I I assumed that that was a table you had in front of you. I picture you uh, at a computer with 32 screens that wrap all the way around your head, and every statistic available uh, is actually on one of those screens. But if, if I pictured that wrong, I apologize. Um
6: but i i think this I, does I'm only i'm only sitting in front of one screen my laptop right now i i do have my my other room where i have my, my multiple screen configuration. so you but do today, have a command center. A few.
1: okay because i was going to yeah. actually say we'd have to find another stats guy if you didn't at least have one area where you had some command center type layout um so is that something you can oh. you can look up or should we move on
6: yes so, so manchester city um are sixth with so their x cheaper shot is compared to Liverpool, which is .135.
1: And so that goes from 6th all the way down to 19th, huh? Um,
6: Yeah, so... uh, Sorry, that's 6th worst oh six worse
1: okay well no because this is i think is interesting then if they are good analogs for each other the teams that press the highest up the pitch are the teams that allow the best quality chances or you're not the best but you know good quality chances when you are able to fashion them and i think that that's instructive that what it tells you is the battle is getting the ball out of that press but if you do it and you create chances, you're going to be creating two-on-ones and three-on-twos and one-on-ones and the kinds of chances that may yield goals. So obviously the the, the exactly. goal for us yeah. is going to be playing out from that press. Now, look, when they do win the ball back, and inevitably they're going to do that at times, the, the player you have to be wary of is Mohamed Salah. He's been in red-hot form. Do you want to maybe kind of give us an overview of the nightmare uh, that we should be expecting from him on Friday?
6: Um, yeah, so I mean, he's been probably the the signing of the the summer. Um, So I have him ranked second in XG total. Um, I actually have him ranked first if you look at just the the shots on target. Um, So Harry Kane um, gets a lot of his XG by shooting with volume, while Mo Salah creates uh, a ton of great shots. Um, Right now, it's mostly focused in the danger zone in that right wide box. Um, and if you look at the actual shot chart, which I will include um, on Twitter um, either today, tomorrow, maybe in my match preview that I'll put on the short fuse, um, this is definitely something to, to pe- keep an eye on. So he's at 9.6 XG um, with almost all of that coming from the danger zone and big chances.
1: Yeah, that's really, really scary. And I guess what it begs the question is, are we going to revert to a back three now that Mustafi is available and have, you know, the combination of what I presume will be... Maitland Niles and um, and Koscielny,
6: Nacho Monreal, or Nacho Monreal. Oh, yeah. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah.
1: bracketing him, um, and I assume Maitland Niles because Kolesinac started and played against West Ham in the Carabao Cup. But like that, that is going to be the real trick. Is is how we shut him down. And I think those spaces, those channels, have been a problem for us this season, haven't they? I mean, I, I think if you look at where we're allowing chances, you know that that have been problematic for us. They're probably coming from those players that run the channels.
6: Yeah. And I think that is definitely um, something to to keep an eye on, especially with maybe Phil Coutinho um, creating those chances. And I'm concerned by their speed that they are going to have against our, our wide center backs, that that could definitely be an issue because that is where the vulnerabilities are in the back three is between the, the wing back and those uh, wide full or wide center backs where you have to, to pull them away from their goal and that's something that between Sala, Firmino, and uh, I'm blanking on the, the other guy's Sané? name. Yes, that they can just absolutely uh, terrorize the back, a defensive line there.
1: The the one thing I will say is, I mean, if we are playing long, the, the good news is you're not going to beat Hector Bellerin and Maitland-Niles for pace, most likely. I mean, as long as they're not needing to push up as much to to get involved in the attack, if we're playing longer. Uh, you know, and not swinging the ball side to side on the edge of their final third, hopefully they will be in a position where their recovery pace is more than enough to keep up. Now, whether they can handle the trickiness and dribbliness of them is another another matter altogether. Um, so then let, let's come on to the ramifications of the match. And, and this is what I think is really fascinating because I am a firm believer that we are uh, in the race and a favorite in the race for top four. I think that most of the statistical stuff that I've looked at, the underlying metrics suggest... We are solidly uh, a top four candidate, uh, if not favorite. But in terms of what your uh, model predicts in terms of the outcome from this game, and then what would those outcomes mean for our season, I'm really curious to hear how you have uh, how it shows up.
6: Um, yeah. So um, one thing that I actually noticed, uh, another thing while I was preparing, which I know I'll, I'll try to do less tisk tisk is. is that uh, Arsenal and Liverpool are almost mirror um, images of each other um, in the home-road split. So Arsenal at home are solidly the second-best team in the league behind Manchester City, who are the best at both home and away. They are just the best team, period. Um, But Arsenal, um, they came out as a, a 136. Um, on my team rankings. So that's 36% better than league average um, at home compared to the road where they are only 18% better than league average. Um, and Liverpool are almost the exact opposite where they rank at 131 on the road and only 118 at home. So that's actually going to be pretty interesting. So when we compare the um, at home and a road, they're both playing at their, their most advantageous um, spot. Um. So this is a, a very evenly matched one, but Arsenal are going to be slight favorites according to my model. So I have them with a, a 43.7% chance of a win, a 20% chance of a draw and a 36.2% chance of a Liverpool win. Um, the other thing that came out of this is that there are going to be goals scored. Um, a nil-nil um, happened just 1% of the time in my model um, simulations and both teams possibly scoring as many as four goals um, happened more often. Than I'm curious,
1: a have Arsenal and Liverpool ever been involved in a game where both teams scored four goals? Let's ask Andre Arshavin I, I, about that when we have time. Um, okay. So then, all right, well, let's say we win or we draw or we lose. I suspect one of those things will happen. Um, you know, I would be willing to stake a lot bowl, of money bowl. in fact that one of those things will happen. Uh, what does it mean in terms of our top four projections?
6: Um, so before the match, let's just um, set our baseline here. So I have Liverpool as the, the favorite of the the three teams chasing for that final four spot. So um, Manchester City have top four locked up, which is unsurprising. They pretty much have the, the title locked up. Um, and then it's Manchester United and Chelsea just above them. Um, so Manchester United, I have them 88% chance to, to get into the top four. Chelsea at 77% chance. Uh, Liverpool at 70%. Arsenal at 40%, and Tottenham at 37%. So wow, so
1: we've really dipped since are, I looked at it. These last few results have really cost us.
6: They certainly have, yeah. Those couple of draws that we had, um, and then you know Manchester United losing that match, that was a, dropped quite a few of the, the expected points. So things are very tight, um, and this match can definitely swing things pretty good. So Arsenal can go from um, about a, a 40% chance all the way up to a 55% chance, of a top four with a win here, and that'll knock Liverpool down to about even, so they'd be at 58%, and that would also push um, Tottenham down to... um, Actually, they would actually gain a little bit, um, gaining a a possible chance of getting ahead Liverpool also, um, depending on how their results go this weekend. Um, A loss could really hurt Arsenal. Um, that one would, could drop their chances of top four down to thirty percent and pretty much solidify Liverpool as um, that third or that fourth favorite. Did you say thirty percent? Yeah. So really, losing wow. things can really, really um, affect the match. So because I do have them as favorites to win this match, so they are defending. I believe. Uh, let's see. It's uh, one point five um, expected points for this match. So First, losing or... that one point five. Okay, yeah. Yes. Um, and a draw doesn't really hurt things. That basically keeps the status quo um, as is. Um, so, yeah, the other thing that really hurts is that you know, we have to make up uh, the goal difference that, that Liverpool has. And this is the thing with Tottenham. They have a better goal difference, too. So it's not just that Arsenal need to get the points. If they are level on points, they need to make up that goal difference, which is a, a pretty hill to climb back from.
1: Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's a big match. And, I mean... Based on what you just said, you know, I think there are a lot of calculations that would have to change. I mean, if we were to lose this match and drop down to 30% chance of top four, then you start to say, is January a time to start rebooting the squad already? You know, should we be focusing just on the Europa League? Where do we go from there? It'd be interesting. Um, But more than anything, I just think it's a great chance to fill our pants, Um, you know, be nervous as hell, bite our fingernails off watch from behind the couch, or if you're uh, unfortunate enough to have to be at the stadium, uh, cover your eyes. Because it's going to be a stressful one, but we owe them one. I mean, they really, really embarrassed us uh, last time, so hopefully we can do the same to them. Scott, unless you have anything else for this time, I think we can sign off and look forward to uh, finding out how it went and hearing from you uh, what went right or what went wrong uh, after the match.
6: Yeah, I'm looking forward to a Friday off work with some day beers and hopefully a good event to celebrate.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. There will definitely need to be some alcohol consumed uh, the middle of the day on Friday. In any event, uh, Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore Crab. You can find his great work at crabstats.blogspot.com. And Scott, as always, we really appreciate you taking the time, and we'll talk to you after the match.
6: Awesome, thanks a lot.
1: Cheers. Three P Special with his name on his shirt pocket. Cross the street from the Projects. Anthony Blant to rob Stuck up the place before back in '84. That's when affiliation was really eight years of war. So many relatives telling us, selling us devilish work, selling us intelligent Okay, we're back. Um I think that gives us a good platform to build upon. Obviously, a hugely important game. And uh though you, fine gentlemen, will not have heard this, essentially, um winning this game can leave us with. Uh, in terms of Scott's model anyway. A 55% chance of uh, reaching the top four at the end of the season. Losing this game could reduce our chances to below 30%. Again, all based on the model. We could go uh, go on and have a second half of the season uh, undefeated. So you never know. But in any event... Um, so, Tim, I mean, the, the reverse fixture from recollection wasn't great. Um, but mm-hmm. it was also something of an anomaly. I mean, this is back when we were playing Hoxley-Chamberlain at wingback. <clears throat> when... You know the team wasn't settled. Players were still being integrated. Uh, I was going to say we're more settled this time, but perhaps we're not. And is this the danger? Arsene Wenger doesn't always seem at his best when he has to tinker and when he doesn't know his best eleven, when he doesn't know the formation he wants to play. Um, does he have to, for this match at least, kind of go back to his safe? What's been his safe space this season, which is back three, the first eleven as we know it, minus maybe uh, you know, Ramsey being out for Wilshire or will I mean, is that what he needs to do or is he going to tinker? Is he going to stick with the back four? Where, where do you think he goes with this?
4: I've, do you know, I've got absolutely no idea. Same. And every, every time I think, yeah, we probably should go to the back three at least to try and match up, you know, Liverpool's front three and have the wing backs there to, to support that. But then every time I think of that, I think, oh yeah, but we haven't got Ramsey. So that means, you know, who, who the hell do we play in midfield? Um, you know, we've had to change the whole formation because Ramsey's come out, and uh, you know, do we play Coquelin or El Nenny there? Like, what do I? You know, I, I really don't know. I, don't. I,
2: I, I have to, I have to ask. Do you think we've changed the whole formation because Ramsey's come out?
4: I think that's a big part of it. What yes. about Mustafi? Not, not it's got to entire... be. Must- it's got to be Mustafi. Too, yeah, right? and that that comes into it as well, and the fact that he doesn't trust Pear anymore. But I, I think the biggest part of it was probably about protecting Jack a little bit. Um, and maybe what he's seen from Wilshire the last couple of games, maybe he'll think, oh, do you know what? Maybe, maybe he doesn't really need um, that type of protection. And that could be a decision he makes. But honestly, I've got no idea. I, I mean, I think he's not going to play Kolasinac for the reasons already discussed. And that kind of makes me think he'll go to a back four because I, I think he he hasn't played Monreal left wing back for quite a long time now. And I'm not sure he'll go for Maitland Niles. He seems to prefer Maitland Niles at left back compared to left wing back, um, which, which is quite you, you know, which is you, quite strange. Europa but, League
1: aside, I mean, he did play left yeah, the entire Europa League. I wouldn't say he let the world on fire there.
4: Yeah, yeah, he's, he's looked. Maybe it's just because he's been around better players, but he has looked much better um, at left back compared to left wing back. And I think the thing is one of the things Southampton really traded on was that confusion between the left wing-back and the left centre-half and the right wing-back and the right centre-half and who picks up who. And, um, and that, can, that can confuse things. Whereas if you're the left-back, and, you know, Wenger's been talking a lot about how good Maitland-Niles is one-on-one. And if you're the left-back, you know, right, um, Salah, that's my job. I know that's my job. I know wherever he goes, I've, I've got to be there. Um, there's no confusion about who picks him up. Um, so, you know, he, he might... I, I suppose I've talked myself there into thinking that he's going to stick with the back four just because... Um, yeah, just because he had... he You know, he didn't involve Maitland-Niles at all on on Tuesday, which suggests that he plans to involve him on, on Friday. And I can't see it, him involving him anywhere other than, than, than left-back. But then, like you say, Mustafi's come back in. So... You know, Mustafi, Kashelny, and Monreal are all available. So so then what does he do? Um, I've got no idea. I, I'm pretty certain that the front three will be Alexis Erzl and Lacazette. Um, you know, Xhaka will play, Bellerin will play. I think Kashelny and Monreal will play. Um, so I suppose it's kind of between Mustafi and Maitland Niles. And that's a massive question because that completely changes the formation either way. So I'm I'm intrigued because I haven't got a clue.
1: One thing that I, I think is really interesting is and we've all observed Ozil's been dropping deeper in the back four, he or at least he mm. did against Newcastle, and he's very very safe with the ball and he's very good at starting those counterattacks. Um Liverpool are going to press way up the pitch. We cannot afford to turn it over there and we need to turn our possession into really quick attacks up the pitch similar to what we did against Spurs. Does he play the back four and tell Ozil to drop in a little deeper like he was against Newcastle to collect the ball off the back four and be the one taking more of that responsibility instead of Shaka who is maybe more of a liability in that respect. I mean Shaka plays great long balls, but he's slow to get the ball out of his feet. I'd be curious to see, I mean, Paul, do you have a do you have an inclination into whether you think he will go back three or back four and and who he'll pick?
5: Yeah, no, I have no idea. I'm more interested to hear what Clive has to say. Well, I have a I specific
1: question for Clive, yeah. so I've got that one.
5: Yeah, so... You. Uh, oh, I, how I, was I mean, that question?
1: Yeah. No, no, you can't, yeah, talk, about, you can't give, talk about anything I'll, but
5: what I ask you, just like I'll always. give you most of this, Clive. <laughs> no, I, I'm persuaded kind of by Tim's logic. Uh, I think it's very clear. It, uh, Arson's talked in the past about, you know, you go to bed the night before, pretty much, and you're still working on what you're going to do, and I think... It's never truer than this situation. He's got some big decisions to make. Uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on our midfield to cover the back. Uh, I, d- I do think Monreal and Ainsley Maitland-Niles Niles will make a good pairing against Salah either way, uh, whether it's a back three or a back four. Uh, I'd feel but, a lot safer you know. with one extra, guy,
1: one extra guy bracketing him.
5: Yeah, and, and so the big question is, who? what's he do about midfield? Does he play more conservatively? Does he put in Coquelin? Does he put in... But but he wants to be attacking at home. So I have no idea what he's going to do. Clive.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, the one thing I'll say about putting in Coquelin, this would be a game where where I could almost see it only in the sense that I don't think that this is a game where you need to have a lot of midfield possession. I think this is a game where you have to get it into the attacking third as quickly as possible and let those players exploit the space. An interesting statistic that came out of the section with Scott, um, Liverpool are allowing the second fewest chances in the league behind only City, but they allow the best chances in the league tied for dead last with Stoke um, or just behind Stoke for dead last. So I mean... They, the chances they concede are good chances, and that's because if you can get around their press, they're defending one-on-one and two-on-one with mediocre defenders back there and a clown for a keeper. So, I mean, I, I think obviously we want to get into those spaces quickly. So, Clive, I mean, you can, you can touch on the, the selection. Yep. What I really wanted to ask you about also, though, is that plan that you've talked about that we used against Spurs. I mean, is that the plan again?
2: that's what i'd like to see and the reason why liverpool give up the the best chances is because if you play in the right areas they're rubbish right their back five is rubbish all of them and if you play in those areas you're going to beat them what they do very very well is they they set a tone early they set a tent intensity level early they set a pace early and they they have it's almost like cat and mouse we're going to play in areas we want to play and you've got to decide. Well, we want to play in areas we want to play. They don't want the ball anywhere near their back four. And so they force us. They force teams into areas. So um, we've got to be bold. Give it to them and 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 do what we did against Spurs. On the day, i um, um, from a team selection perspective. I mean. I think Cockland's got a chance. I know he came off. He wasn't injured. He had cramp. So um, I, I think he's got a chance. And the reason why I think he's got a chance, this game, and the reason why we're so concerned about this game, is that we know Liverpool are faster than us. We know that. We know they play at a higher pace than us. Whatever you say about Cockland, he can get to a level. He can get to an intensity level. He can, he can, he can make people think. If, if I was picking a team, I would go four Diamond Two. And I would actually play Maitland-Niles in midfield on the right-hand side. I, would, I think we need his speed and his recovery. And I would love to uh, I would play him sort of on in a V. I'd have Jack, i have Shaka. I'd have, have Maitland-Niles to the right. I'd have Ozil free. and I'd have two forwards. That's what I would do. i will get Alexis high, I'd get Lacazette high, and I'd make sure we had our two killers up high, so we had to play in those areas. But when we had to defend, we had speed and intensity. The Wenger probably won't play make the midfield, so Cochrane, I think, has got a chance. I think Iwobi could suffer for this game. I would play Monreal left back on Mustafi and Koz um, at centre half. And I'll pay better in a right-back. And I, I'm not worried about Colosinac because we've got Palace away, we've got West Brom away. Over the Christmas period, there's going to be games for him to play. I think Monreal will, will rotate out. Um, there's also the option of going to the back three. Uh, I think it works, but I've got a funny feeling he's going to try to put the emphasis on them and play in areas where he wants to play. I think the back four helps us do that. I think it's an easy matchup. So that's how I would go. And um again it's all about our ability to play at pace and that's why we're a little bit concerned about this game because Liverpool play at a higher pace than we do normally
1: yeah I mean it's we certainly are going to have to get the ball out from the back safely and quickly and avoid that press I mean the the prospect of of Salah attacking our you know the the channels in a back four really scares me I what's the balance here in terms of thinking we can get at them and, and score goals versus thinking we have to be careful. And just to let you know, again uh, in Scott's model, he had the odds of this being a nil nil less than 1%. Um, His model predicts a lot of goals. Um, Do we, do we have to be on the front foot here? What's, what's the right approach in terms of caution versus aggression?
4: I mean, I think trying to control the game, I think if we, get into a knife fight with Liverpool. Um, You know, potentially we could win it, but I I tend to lean on Liverpool's side if it comes to that, particularly the way we've kind of been attacking late recently. Um, It sounds kind of a bit dull and boring, but just kind of trying to control the game a bit through possession so it doesn't become an uh, up-and-down basketball-type encounter. So having... And, you know, maybe that's what the last couple of games have been about, getting, um, you know, Maitland-Niles at left-back and Jacker and Awobi and Wilshire and Urzel all in the team, like guys who don't really give the ball up, because that has been a big problem, well, apart from Xhaka, um, because that has been a really, really big problem this season, and we absolutely cannot do that. Um, I, I think Clive makes a good point that, you know, Liverpool... Uh, Possibly the team most analogous to Tottenham um, in the league in a slightly different way. Um, and if we if we are as on it as we were against Spurs, both in an attacking sense, but against Spurs we didn't really make any stupid mistakes um, in passing the ball out. You know, Mustafi and Jacker were were on their game um, in terms of in terms of building uh, possession. So yeah, we we need like you say we need to be careful about how we pass the ball particularly in our own third because like Clive says once you get into Liverpool's territory um, you know we know we can really get at them um, although, although Liverpool's defensive record has improved recently I, st- I still think that Alexis Ozil and Lacazette would give them something that they couldn't handle um, so we'll, we'll see but it's 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 always like this in big games you've just got to be you know you've got to hold your nerve and not make silly errors Um and the team that does that the best will will probably be the team that wins.
1: Yeah, I, look, we, I'm, I, go ahead, Clive. Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm just going to say this. We all look at Liverpool star players and their front four are great. But let's just remember they've still got Jordan Henderson, right? Let's not get overexcited. They've still got some dodgy fullbacks. They, they've got issues in their team structurally. Everyone's looking at their fab four and they are great. They still have got ugly players in centre mid that don't know how to move it. If we play in their areas, we in the areas we want to play, we will kill them. But we've got to play in the right areas. Don't they play in our third.
1: They'll be pressing us in our defensive third. When they get yeah, us the ball back, that's when they're going to be pressing us the most. And that's when we have to be most vigilant and get it past them. And if we can, if we can prevent them from getting the ball off us in our defensive third I think we can play the better football from there but we have shot ourselves all over our body this season giving it away in our defensive third um, Shaq has done it Koscielny's done it Monreal's done it Be- Bellerin has yep. done it I mean we, we everyone's done it they've all done it <laughs> we can't do it uh, that's why I think maybe having Ozil drop a little deeper you know because ball security is, is something that is a strength of his maybe that'll help um, Paul you got a final thought on the on the game or have you just decided to tune out the rest of this? <laughs> Paul, Paul is, is an avatar for the listener right now.
5: Yeah, no, no. Um, you got I thoughts? don't really have... I, I don't know what we're going to do. The three at the back, the, the Spurs model, makes a lot of sense here. But it it feels, although it was only a few games ago, it feels like a, a long time ago. And I feel Arson has moved away from three at the back under... Uh, for for the big games, for the crunch matches. I think he's going to the at the back. That's that's where I think we're at. I,
1: I really hope Oxlade-Chamberlain starts against us, and I hope he gets booed, and I think it will get under his skin, and I think it will yeah. affect him, and I think he is prone to turning the ball over, and he is prone to going to sleep defensively. I just, I really, I really hope that happens. Um, I know he's a player who can be very dangerous and explosive and all that. Um, I can see him bursting right past Shaka, who you know, is waving at him as he walks by. But I I still would rather see him out there than some of the other options. In any event, it's a massive match. It's one we have to have. I I don't think that we need to be scared of them. I mean, to be fair, we're catching them with one of the hottest players in the world right now in Salah. But, uh, you know, I agree with Clive. I think if we play in the areas we want to play in, we are technically better than they are. And I do think at the back they are very, 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 very vulnerable. Um, if we can get at them. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, in any event, we will come back with a podcast after that game. Now, I have not discussed with these fine gentlemen yet when that will be. Um, <laughs> hopefully it will be before Christmas uh, so that we can get the pot out to you before then. Um, we'll discuss that. That'll be the idea, and I hope everybody is looking forward to having a happy and healthy holiday, whatever holiday it is you are celebrating. Uh, in any event, Tim is on Twitter, at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Paul's on Twitter, at Paws in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC thanks Clive thank you very much my name's Elliot Smith you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner give us a five star review and write nasty things about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain in the comments Um, and other than that I guess it's just uh, it's another big game we've been good at home let's keep our fingers crossed for it we will come back with another podcast after uh, Arsenal 10 Liverpool
0: talk to you